So three weeks ago, we started a series that we have called A True Witness. And uh, last week, we paused that series because of our introduction, our theme for 2021, but we're getting back into that, that series this morning. And so our, our, I guess the text that we've been using as our launch is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. If you want to turn there, you can. It'll also be in the script on the wall behind me. Scripture says, but you shall, somebody say shall, not you may, it says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That lets me know a couple of things. Firstly, that there is a time when we don't have it and then there is a time when we do have it. There's an after that takes place. There is, an, there is a belief out there in Christianity that you somehow get the Holy Ghost just as soon as you believe God imparts it, but that is not consistent with the witness and the testimony of the book of Acts. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we've talked about how this power that we receive and the witness that it produces includes primarily, it has to begin here, the change in us. Anything God does begins in us. And that witness that when that change begins to happen because we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it also then produces a supernatural demonstration of the Holy Ghost as God confirms His Word with signs following. Signs come in a lot of different categories. It's not always just the miraculous, but the changes that happen in our lives as we walk with God are signs following. They are demonstrated evidence of the witness of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we have spoken of how each of us are given gifts from God. Some of those gifts are a part of our personality, our talents, or how God created us as unique individuals. Other gifts are imparted by the Spirit of God, and some are specific callings on our lives. And we're working our way through some of these uh, collections, if you like, or groups of gifts in the Scripture in this series. The underlying principle that is through all of these lessons is that all of us are placed in the body of Christ to be contributors in some way. None of us are designed to simply be passengers. It's a cliche, but somebody once very accurately said that the church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. It's all hands on deck. Amen. And uh, in in our second lesson, we spent some time in Romans chapter 12, Firstly, establishing that whatever Jesus has gifted us with and called us to do, it is by His grace that we're able to do it and that He provides the measure or the amount of faith we need to get the job done, which tells us that we have no excuses. No excuses. First of all, it's by His grace, so it's no glory for us. It's all about Him. And secondly, if He's requiring you to do something if he's given you a gift that has a function he's also giving you the faith that you need to get that job done you may wrestle with that and you would not be alone anybody that wants to serve God wrestles with their abilities wrestles with their suitability wrestles with their being able to do what they feel like God has put in to do but you are in good company because the characters throughout the scripture face the same battles Moses wrestled Gideon wrestled many of them wrestled with the will of God But when they trusted God with the call of God in their lives, He used them beyond their imagination. Amen. We went on in our second lesson to teach you about the gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12. 
they are prophecy, ministering or serving, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving, ruling or leading, we might better understand that, and showing mercy. And uh, lessons one and two are on the podcast if you want to review them. But we considered that these gifts that are found in Romans 12 are often a part of our personality or the way that God designed us to be. And becoming aware of them and offering them to God for His service is how they reach fulfillment or how they become what God intended them to be. And we also established that to some extent, every mature Christian should be able to function in all of those areas. We can't just say, well, I got one of those gifts, so I don't have to worry about the other six. All of us should be to a certain degree an effective witness. We should all be willing to serve, to encourage, to give, and to show mercy. We should all have the basic ability to instruct unbelievers in the plan of salvation and to lead new converts in the ways of the Lord. You know, I I love Bible studies. I know that many people love to attend Bible studies. They love to be sitting and listening and being taught in a Bible study. But I want to challenge you, if you've been attending Bible studies for a period of time, and that time is measured in years, it's time to maybe not attend, it's time to teach. It's time to stop receiving, it's time to start outputting. It's time to start using what you've learned to teach others. We enjoy the fellowship of a Bible study, and we go, well, I'm still not ready, Pastor. The only way that you will get better at teaching a Bible study is to teach a Bible study. It's like prayer. You can read every book in prayer on prayer that's ever been written, but the way you learn to pray is you pray. You begin to pray. And so if you think, I don't think I can teach a Bible study or I think I'm not going to be a very good teacher, how will you know until you try? And there are a lot of people in this room today that are teaching Bible studies that when they first considered the idea were probably terrified. And now some of them have taught many Bible studies. So today we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 going to move on to the gifts of the spirit that are found in this chapter i'm thinking there'll be two more lessons in this series i don't think i'll be able to get everything into one so it'll probably be the next couple of weeks first corinthians chapter 12 starting at verse 1 says now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i would not have you ignorant i want you to understand You know that you were Gentiles, the people here that he's writing to, the churches in in Greece, in ancient Greece. They were not Jews. They were not familiar with the ways of God from the Old Testament. But he said, you were Gentiles. You were non-Jews. You were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. He's talking about their lives before the Lord. And when he says they're dumb idols, you can take that either way. They're dumb, they're stupid idols, but they're also dumb in that they can't speak. Take it whichever way you like. They're just dumb idols. But Paul was, Paul was saying that's where you were before. You were led in those areas. He said, wherefore, be now or because of that, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 4 he says, now there are diversities of gifts, or there's a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are diversities, sorry, differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same Lord with which worketh all all. But the manifestation or the, the demonstration, the, the active observable actions of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then it says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, 
to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirit, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. If you haven't picked it up in that passage, there's one spirit. And all of these gifts come from that spirit as God decides that he should distribute them. Now, if you read on in your own time, later in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you will notice that in parallel with Romans 12, there is a very strong emphasis on the need of each part that makes up the body and have our each part is unique, that we are not all feet, ears, noses, kneecaps, whatever you might like to imagine, but that each part is unique and that each part is necessary. You see that emphasis in Romans 12. You'll also see that in the latter portion of 1 Corinthians 12. The God who designed you with certain gifts, you need to understand this this morning, the God who designed you, created you with certain gifts, also designed the church body that your gifts are supposed to be a part of. It's not a coincidence. It's how God operates. Psalm 139 and verse 14 says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. A more modern translation of that verse says, I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm awesomely and wonderfully made. And we'll spend the rest of the lesson talking about humility. No, we won't. That, that verse is telling us that it is incredible what God has done when he's made us. That awesomeness and that wonder is not just in the fact that we are his image creature, but in the fact that each one of us is custom made. You are one of a kind. You cannot be replaced. God gives similar gifts to different people, but you are one of a kind. You are awesomely and wonderfully made. Amen. Just as your design and your creation is awesome, your place in his body is not an afterthought. The Lord does not see people and think, well, how am I going to fit them in? He knew where he wanted you to fit before you were even created. Your connection is included as a part of your creation. Some of you think, well, I don't know where I fit. That may be true. That's, that's something that's got to change. That's not a God problem. That's an us problem. Amen. And the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and 7, says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. New Living Translation says the spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. But the ultimate purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is the exaltation or the lifting up of Jesus Christ. The underlying purpose of all of the gifts of the Spirit, whether they're the motivational gifts, the supernatural gifts, or the ministerial gifts, is the profit, edification, the building up of His body. When we think of profit, we usually use the word in a financial context because that's, if we're honest, that's where our brains often will go when we think about profit. And it's talking about business. And at a basic level, I'm not a financial advisor by any stretch, but at a basic level, profit means that after the business has taken place and the bills and the costs have been paid, how much extra do you have? And so the profit, to profit the body of Christ is to add 
or to contribute something that increases it in some way, that helps it to grow, that helps people to mature and grow and be born again. And believers growing in grace, sinners being saved, always exalts the Lord Jesus and edifies or builds up his body. And so even when the gifts benefit people at an individual level, for example, if somebody's healed, they're still about the body. How do you feel when somebody testifies that God has healed their body? We get excited together because it's the body of Christ. We all rejoice. Amen. And so going back to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, we look at the list of spiritual gifts that are given to us here. Verse 8, For the one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, there are nine gifts here. Sometimes, for the purpose of learning and studying, they are broken up into three groups of three. The first group are sometimes called the revelation gifts, or gifts that are given that we might know. And they are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Second group that is often identified as the power gifts or the gifts to do things that happen it's faith the gifts of healings and the working of miracles and then thirdly there is what's sometimes called the utterance gifts or gifts that are spoken the speaking involved and that includes different kinds or diverse the bible says different kinds of tongues we would understand that as languages and the interpretation of tongues and prophecy now we're not going to get through all of these today but we might try to get through the first two groups So the first group is the revelation gifts, which is the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. I'm going to sort of deal with the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge together because they're very similar. And it's actually when you read read things in the scripture and you observe things in the church, sometimes it's not easy to work out which is which. Because like everything in the kingdom of God, it's designed to operate in harmony. But we'll start out with wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 10 says... If the iron, or we might understand that better to like an axe, if the iron is blunt and he does not wet the edge, when it's talking about using a sharpening stone, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Now that's King James, which is a bit lumpy. But what that means in, in easy speak is that if the axe is blunt, the person using the axe may still be able to chop down a tree But because the axe is blunt, it's going to be a slower process and it's going to take a lot more effort. But if the axe has been sharpened, then the task can be accomplished much more quickly, cleanly and easily. I have an example. I don't know if I've shared this before, but years ago when my wife and I, we we still lived in Marangaroo. Our house in Marangaroo had a wood fire. The house where we are now has ducted heating, which is much less effort. But we had a wood fire, and so every once in a while we'd get wood delivered, and I had a big axe, but I also had a little axe, like I guess you'd call it a tomahawk, that I used just for splitting wood to, for the fireplace. That When I bought that little tomahawk, it came with a little vinyl or leather cover that went over the head of it just to protect it. It was black, slipped onto the little axe head and clipped over it. One time my father-in-law was visiting us in winter, And he got up one morning and wanting to do the right thing and get the fire going a little bit, he went outside, we had some wood out the back by the door, and he went outside to split some wood with that little axe, but he didn't have his glasses on. 
And so after a while we heard him complaining and muttering about how hopeless this axe was. But when I went out there, he hadn't taken the cover off the head of the little tomahawk. He destroyed the cover. But he achieved what he was trying to do, but it took a whole lot more effort than it should have. And that's the principle of this verse. You can get the job done, but if you if there's wisdom involved, if you sharpen the tool, the process is a lot uh, easier. Amen. And in much the same way, it may be possible to accomplish a spiritual task without wisdom, but it will be a much more difficult process requiring a lot more effort and having the possibility of doing damage. The supernatural gift of the word of wisdom will give direction to get the job done quickly, smoothly, and with a minimum of fleshly effort and with the smallest amount of damage. Wisdom and knowledge depend upon each other. Wisdom needs knowledge to work with. Knowledge must be directed by wisdom. After all, I think we can all understand that it is possible to use knowledge uh, unwisely. Sorry, We can know things and not use those things well. You might know something about somebody's life and you may approach them thinking you're helping without wisdom and you're not doing any good whatsoever. So wisdom and knowledge actually can go together. Both of these gifts are described as being a word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. So we understand from that that they are for a specific purpose and time. When God uses people with those gifts, it is for a situation that is usually time-sensitive or related to something that is going on. Knowledge is the possession of facts. Wisdom is the understanding of what to do with those facts. I have a little saying that I like. You may have heard me say it before, but somebody said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Take that for whatever you think. For some people, that's all you needed this morning. You'll be fine. You can go home and that's, that's what you're taking from the service. But to give you a definition, the word of wisdom is a supernatural gift of a portion of divine insight, judgment, or guidance for a particular need. So we have to understand with the gifts of the Spirit, they're not always obvious. There's not always a great fanfare or fireworks or the heavens opening and light shining like Paul experienced on the Damascus Road. In my own life, I've personally had experiences where I have sought counsel from the people that were elders in my life because they have wisdom born of the Word of God in their experience. But while they give counsel, because they have the gift of the Word of Wisdom, it can be more than just wisdom and experience. It gives wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God. There's not always a thus saith the Lord or some indication that something supernatural has taken place, but God has simply used them to give the direction that was needed. And I think sometimes we don't recognize the supernatural because we're looking for the sensation. God doesn't always do it in a sensational fashion. When it comes to the word of wisdom, God will often use spiritual leadership with the word of wisdom. Acts chapter 6, starting read at verse 1. Church is growing. It's all hands on deck. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring, old-fashioned word for complaining, of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason or it's not the right thing to do that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. 
but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, you might read that and think, well, that was just a good decision. But when you read on in the chapter and you see how God anointed and used those people that were chosen to fill those roles, you recognize that the hand of God was on it, that he was directing the elders. He didn't want them to leave their primary focus, which was prayer and ministry of the word. But he gave them wisdom to put something in place to solve the problem. And God blessed it, and it had a massive impact on the church. You can read that in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. Another possible example of of God giving wisdom or knowledge, whichever way you want to understand it, is when the Apostle Paul was being transported to Rome in Acts chapter 27. Verse 9 of Acts 27 says, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, that's talking about a particular time in the calendar, Paul admonished them, and he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage not only of the lading or the the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Paul was a tent maker, not a sailor. He didn't have the qualifications to say what he was trying to say. And as a result of that, the Roman officer listened to the professionals and ignored the man of God. And when you read on, the warning that Paul gave came to pass was something that God gave him, and he said, we, we know we need to be careful. He, he didn't want to die. He'd heard from the Lord. He, he had no desire to be shipwrecked. He was at least once in his life, but it wasn't something that he chose to do. They were things he just found himself in. And then later on in the chapter, when they realized that he'd been right, they listened to him, and it saved their lives. Amen. And the word of knowledge, the word of knowledge, which again works closely with the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge is the supernatural gift of a portion of divine information for a particular need. It's God imparting information that we did not know naturally for a particular situation. And one of the most glaring examples of that is found in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, where Ananias and his wife Sapphira with a wrong heart and a wrong motive brought an offering to the church and said they, they brought it all, but they'd actually held some of it back. And in verse 3 of Acts 5, it says, But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? God revealed to Peter by the Spirit of God that he was doing what he was doing. There was nothing natural that Peter could pick that up unless, I don't know, maybe it was Ananias was really nervy and you know, Peter was an expert in body language, but he was a fisherman. And God spoke to him and told him that's what had happened. God did that to both expose Ananias and to preserve the integrity of the young church. Now, there have been times, and some of you will have had this experience as well, where I have been praying for somebody at the altar. I've experienced this being, being the person praying for someone else and being prayed for, where you feel led to pray in a very specific direction. You were unaware of any details, but you feel led by the Lord to pray in a specific direction. And afterwards, the person that you pray for, afterwards the person, well, if I was the person being prayed for, has spoken of how it was exactly what they needed. That's the direction of the Lord supernaturally. Amen. The next gift in this group is what is called the discernment of spirits, or the discerning of spirits, rather. I want to read to you just a short passage from Brother David Bernard's book on spiritual gifts. He says, The word discernment means keenness of insight and judgment, or to be able to recognize and distinguish between. 
it refers to the ability to make a proper distinction or determination, such as to know truth from error. The discernment of spirits then, or the discerning of spirits then, involves keen insight and judgment with regard to spirits. There are three possible sources of spiritual activity. God and his angels, the devil and his demons, and the human spirit. And through the discerning of spirits, we are able to understand which one motivates a certain action. This gift can also provide information about the type of spirit that is behind certain actions, whether it might be lust, envy, greed, or so on. And this knowledge can be invaluable in dealing with or responding to certain situations. So to put that in a statement, the discerning of spirits is a supernatural gift of perceiving the spiritual motivations for an action or what type of spirit is at work. In Acts chapter 16, to give you some spiritual context, Acts 16 and 16 says, It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, or fortune-telling, we might say. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her the same hour. See, this young lady was not saying anything that was wrong or untrue. They were the servants of the Most High God. They had come to show the way of salvation. But the Apostle Paul was able to discern that it was not of God, but that it was of an evil spirit, and he brought deliverance to that girl. Chapter 13 of Acts, going back a few chapters. In verse 6, and says, And when they had gone through the isle of Antipaphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now let me pause. When, when, when you read this, remember that they're reading it looking back. This is not a live cross to a reporter on the site. Luke is writing this retrospectively. So we, we read and we think, well, it was obvious this guy was false. But at the time, they might not have had that information to begin with. He's looking back. Verse 7, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, it's this same Bar-Jesus guy, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. He was opposing the apostle Paul. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. So God is letting us know God is moving through him by the Spirit set his eyes on him and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of of the Lord. So this man is opposing their efforts to share the gospel. The Spirit of God moves on Paul, reveals the evil intent and the evil motivation of this man. Miraculously, we don't think of it as a miracle, but it is a miracle that his sight was taken from him and the deputy saw what happened, was amazed and he believed. That's part of the purpose of spiritual gifts, that the word of God might be believed. Amen. I hope everybody's okay upstairs. Sounds dangerous. The next group of gifts in our list from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the power gifts or the gifts to do. 
and they include faith, the gifts of healings, and the working of miracles. The gift of faith. Faith, faith is something that if there's no faith, there's no point. If I can put it that simply. We, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to serve God, if you're going to believe what God says, you've got to have faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please Him, talking of God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, so we have to believe in His existence, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, that He will do what He said He would do. And He responds to faith. Faith is in every part of your walk with God. It is faith. We have to have what's sometimes called saving faith to believe in God. Faith is both a fruit and a gift of the Spirit. Let's us know that faith is very, very important. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12 is describing the supernatural gift of faith that transcends or is beyond the faith required for salvation and Christian living. Everyone can and should exercise faith in God on a daily continual basis but the gift of faith is an extraordinary measure of faith for an individual in a specific situation so the gift of faith then is the supernatural ability to trust God or to inspire others to trust God for a particular need or circumstance it often comes in response to a trial or a crisis that would overwhelm the person except that God grants special faith to overcome in spite of their circumstances. It may be a situation in which there is apparently no escape, but God gives this faith to move a mountain out of the way. We talked about Acts chapter 27 with the Apostle Paul already. Later on in the chapter when everything was going wrong, they were in such a storm, they hadn't seen the stars or the sun or the moon for days an angel appears to Paul and Paul has the faith to stand up and say, be of good cheer. They're all about to drown. And he says, be of good cheer. God's told me it's going to be okay. None of us are going to die. That took some faith. And he's lucky they didn't throw him overboard. But even a spirit-filled believer can be convinced in such situations that all hope is lost. Because to the natural observation, everything is going wrong but God can use the supernatural gift of faith to speak against that situation inspire us to put our confidence and our trust in him in Acts chapter 3 well-known story of Peter and John going to the temple to pray and the, the lame man that was there begging Acts chapter 3 verses 4 to 6 it says and Peter fasting his eyes upon him with John said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, you could quite easily and acceptably argue that this was the gift of miracles in operation. But it also took supernatural faith for Peter to say, Hey, get up and walk to a lame man who'd been there his entire life. Amen. Sometimes... And this is the part of it we don't like, but sometimes the gift of faith is present when there is no miraculous deliverance and we are able to trust God in the face of hopelessness. Amen. Sometimes during a service, a minister may be using the gift of faith to help people believe and receive something from God. An evangelist may be used in this fashion to, to stir up faith and many people may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
The gift of faith can be in operation when there is a need or an appeal given for certain projects and people give beyond what we would consider normal generosity. You see that in the scripture. There's many testimonies of that in our own lives and in the history of the modern church. We've always got to remember that the gifts of the Spirit, they overlap, they work together in cooperation and in harmony. After all, that is their purpose, to operate as part of the body to bring glory to Jesus. Amen. Our next gift is the gift, gifts of healing. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Healing for our bodies was provided for as a part of the atonement or the payment for our sins. When we are saved, when we're born again of water and spirit, there is a spiritual healing that takes place. Because we, whether we realize it or not, we were all spiritually sick before when we were in sin. God provides healing for spirit, body, and mind. And there is, this is the only gift in Corinthians that is listed in the plural form, gifts of healing. And it would seem, and I, I can't necessarily give you scripture for this, I can only give you observation and experience, it would seem that the Lord uses individuals in these gifts in specific ways and sometimes for specific needs. Some healings are instantaneous. Others, it is a reversal of an illness. And we can define the gifts of healing as various forms of supernatural cure or restoration from illnesses, diseases, injuries, and other impairments. And many of us of here can testify of having experienced healing in our bodies from the Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 to 17, tell us that the healing in the New Testament is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says, When the even or the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That, or why did he do that? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Amen. Now, when we say that healing is a part of the atonement, what we mean by that is that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the basis of our healing as well as our salvation. It does not mean that if we have faith to be saved, then we will automatically be healed. Or that if someone is not healed, then they are not saved. People get those ideas and they're, they're not biblical. We have to realize that some of the benefits of the atonement that the Lord provided are immediate. Some will happen in the future. Some will only happen in eternity. Now is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And in, in the sense of receiving forgiveness of sins and the new birth, all of us can experience that healing immediately. If you've never been born again of water and spirit, God has that for you today. He wants you to respond to his word today. That miracle can happen at your choice. Amen. It is, it is a miracle. Amen. But there are other aspects of our salvation that are yet to come. We know the Bible tells us that we are still awaiting the redemption of the body, the ultimate redemption of the body, when we go to be with the Lord and our bodies are changed into immortal bodies. And so while some healing is available in this life, if you don't get healed in this life, complete healing will come in the resurrection. And whatever we do not receive now, we will receive then. And whether it's in the present, the future, or the eternal, the sacrifice of the Lord is the basis for everything that we receive in every time frame. Amen.
Amen. The last gift in that group, and I'm trying to be conscious of time, is the working of miracles. A miracle is an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature and so is held to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. It is an extraordinary, unusual occurrence that suspends or transcends the laws of nature as we know them and it involves the direct intervention of God. We understand that with God, all things are possible. And so for us, what's miraculous for him is just commonplace. You know, the, the Lord never is amazed by what he can do. He never says, wow, I didn't think that was possible. He knows he can do all things. And so we need to, we need to be encouraged by the fact that what we see as impossible, the Lord sees as very, very possible. Amen. God is our creator, and as such, he can work in ways that we do not begin to understand. In a general overall sense, all answers to prayer, all spiritual gifts, and all divine healings are miraculous. Yet like the other gifts, this speaks of a particular gift that God gives to people that he places in his body. God can do and does do miracles in the lives of sinners. Receiving a miracle is not based upon your relationship with God. Receiving a miracle is based upon faith. But the gift of the working of miracles is predominantly part of God wanting to edify, build up his body, glorify himself through his church. So by definition then, if you like definitions, the working of miracles is the supernatural intervention of God that transcends the laws of nature in a situation and operates through or with a human vessel, the gifts that he puts in people. There are many examples of the working of miracles in the New Testament. We can read about Philip in Acts chapter 8, how God transported him from one place to another by the Spirit of God. We can read about demons being cast out of people. We can read about the dead being raised and on and on. Some miracles are evident only to those who believe. And unbelievers will often try to offer a natural explanation or say it's credit, coincidence or luck. Other miracles, however, defy all rational explanation and as with all the spiritual gifts we should expect the working of miracles but we must not think that we can operate our entire lives by this gift you just do miracles every day and solve all your problems the gifts of the spirit are not magic wands god doesn't hand out magic wands so you can just take care of all your problems the purpose is for his glory that's what we have to remember amen as an example to underline that principle despite the fact that Philip was miraculously transported from one location to another, that did not become his normal mode of transport. He didn't get up each morning and just, you know, beam me up, Scotty, and go from Jerusalem to Antioch, or some of you are old enough to know that reference. Um, You know, it it wasn't his normal day-to-day way of getting around. He still had to walk. There were probably days when it was hot when he thought, Lord, can't we do that magic thing again? I'm tired. My feet hurt. I don't want to walk. And the Lord's like, no, you've got to walk. That's how it is. Amen. Most, we have to understand that most of the, the believers in the first century who were arrested were not miraculously delivered from prison. Most who died were not raised up. I, I've often taught this, and it, it's, it's humorous in its context, but it makes sense. If we believe that every time we pray someone should be healed, there should be 800-year-old people in the service this morning. We should have people just keep getting healed. I mean, Brother John wouldn't be celebrating his 40-something birthday. It'd be his 747th birthday this year, Brother John. And he'd stagger up the front and we'd pray for him again. But that's not how God works. 
Amen. Some people expect God to supply all their needs in a miraculous fashion every single day. And that's a nice idea, but the truth of the matter, and if you've got a problem with this, take it up with God. God has a much more regular plan for everyday life that includes hard work, good stewardship, and supporting the kingdom of God. That's why in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the principle of the scripture is if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, I'm not saying if you're out of work at the moment that you have to go on a hunger strike. What I'm saying is God expects us to be good stewards of our time, our energy, and our finances. He's not going to just send you Uber Eats every day like he did with Elijah in the Old Testament. It doesn't work like that. He's, you are, he expects us. When we do everything we can and we come short, he will step in. But he expects us to do what we can. Faith. We need to have faith when deliverance, miracles, and healings do and do not come. That's what faith is. Faith is regardless of outcome, I trust. And the, the, the great example of that is the three young men in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were being uh, judged for refusing to bow down and worship, and they said that they were getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, our God is able to deliver us. But whether he does or he doesn't, we're not changing our position. Our faith is the same. That's what faith is. If your faith is conditioned on circumstances, it's not really faith. Faith is I'm going to trust God in the good and the bad and everything in between. Amen. Sometimes God will not answer our prayers the way we desire or expect, yet faith says we trust him. Job said, even if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. Amen. The Lord is not the author or the creator of sickness or hardship. The sin on humanity has brought those things into the world, but we experience them with the rest of humanity. And we should not be discouraged when trials come, but we should seek the will of God in a trial. You know, God has a purpose in a trial. This is not popular in modern Christianity. There isn't a chapter on this in the book called Your Best Life Now. It's not a popular concept, but James chapter 1 in verses 2 to 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We might say it produces faithfulness. But let patience have her perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect or complete and entire wanting or lacking nothing. In other words, God will allow it because he's making you into something. He's completing a process. And God does not prevent trials. I wish he would. But he always provides grace to sustain and deliver us in the time of trial. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. God will not allow his children to go through something that he will either keep them through or provide a way out. Faith, unfortunately, means that you trust him with whichever option that is. Because you think, I can handle it to here. And the Lord says, I think you can handle here. And he raises the bar. And you think, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. Where's the escape hatch? And the Lord says, let's go another day. He will never allow us. God doesn't want us to fail. If we trust him, we're going to be victorious. Amen. Sometimes God will deliver you. Other times he'll take you through. And the, the example I use often 
King Herod arrested two apostles in close succession. Apostle James was arrested. They cut off his head. Peter was arrested shortly afterwards. He was miraculously delivered from prison. That doesn't make sense to us. But the same churches, I have no doubt, were praying for both men. We can't blame the church. We can't blame James for lack of faith. We've just got to recognize that both men lived and died in faith and that God knew what was going on. And that's where we have to finish it. Paul prayed that he would be delivered from the thorn in his flesh. God said, no. He said, my grace is enough. Paul wrote to Timothy when Timothy was sick and he didn't say, man, Timothy, you lack faith. You're a heathen, you're a reprobate, you're backslidden. You need to trust God. No, he said, take a little wine, medicinal wine. He didn't say get drunk. He said, take a little wine for thy stomach shake and thy oft infirmities. Timothy had a physical ailment. Paul said, take some medicine. I said, wow, the great apostle Paul is teaching us about the gifts of the Spirit. Surely he would have just said, have more faith, Timothy. No, he, there was, he said, this is what you need to get you through. He probably prayed for him. I imagine he had. But faith is not only manifested in miraculous deliverance. Faith is equally seen in patient endurance through trials. Read Hebrews 11 and you will see both of those options. People who were delivered, people who just stuck it out. All of them were commended by God and serve as role models for us. Amen. I want to conclude this lesson this morning by reminding you, I'm going to be doing this throughout this series, that God has placed gifts and callings in his church. Each of you have gifts that we might describe as part of your design. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have gifts also that are imparted by that spirit. Let's stand together this morning.